welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I am Gavin. And this is a podcast brought to you by martial artists who know martial arts <laughs> more than maybe you do or less. <laughs> I, okay, I approve. Uh, okay. Just for everyone's knowledge, I had uh, no idea what he was about to say there. He said, I might like it or I might hate it, but I liked it. I like it. So well, we'll see if I can remember it for next time. Yeah, well, you can always mix it up a little bit, right? It's not like yeah. Law & Order where uh, the intro's got to be the same every time. Ooh, but maybe we should set up like a Law & Order type uh, intro. Maybe we should. In the martial arts justice system. Uh, but anyway, how are you, good sir? I'm doing well. How about you? Um, can't complain. Can't complain. You know, uh, life's good. Life's good up here. Doing my usual. Training all the time. Uh, I'm still in that fitness competition. And I have now made it to the top 10. So now I'm competing for the top five. So all of our listeners out there, uh, the link is on Instagram, on our Instagram page. It's on Facebook. I think you probably put it on Twitter. It's on Twitter, yeah. Uh, So you can vote daily once every 24 hours. Uh, And thank you for all the love and support so far. Uh, I just have to make the top five this next round. And then from there, I think it gets a little more serious. But I'm still in it. In it to win it, baby. That's great. That's really great. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So just uh, training, uh, training hard as always. A little stricter with the diet uh, right now. Not that, you know, I'm usually pretty strict with my diet, but uh, I don't know if I'm going to have to like take any new fitness pictures or anything. So I've, I've been a little more strict than usual, particularly because also I know 4th of July weekend's coming up. Oh, yeah. We as Americans love to indulge on the 4th of July and holidays. But you know what? That's a cultural practice I've found all over the world on holidays. You're expected to eat, drink, and be merry. And what better time to celebrate than to celebrate national pride, your country's pride. Uh, Because once again, we're not a perfect country, but we're still my favorite. Back-to-back world champions, baby. (laughs) 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 <laughs> well, maybe maybe we'll do a little musical uh, cue right there. Anyways, we're back. Uh, but yeah, so what have you been up to recently? Well, uh, I I just got back from uh, training today with uh, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. I've heard of this and guy. They, I've heard of yeah, this guy. I think you have. And uh, I think our listeners have too. And if they haven't, they need to get get to know him. But no, seriously, it was uh, it was a great session. Uh, I've been going, slipping in uh, Friday mornings, 8 a.m. to train with him the last few weeks. Uh, and today was a really special session because other students showed up. Nice. That's I, always. I've been texting crazy crazily to people like are you gonna make it like it's 6 a.m hey i'm leaving um anyway i don't know why my phone number's been blocked by so many people (laughs) well i've got good news for you i do know someone that's going to show up for your monday training oh is that so do do you know who this person is he's uh a bit of a nerd he's obsessed with kung Mm. fu movies uh he has an incredible girlfriend that puts up with way too much (laughs) spoiler it's me but yes, I will be coming down to Los Angeles on the 5th of July because we will be going to the, I believe it is the first now since the new Beverly Cinema has reopened post-COVID, the first Kung Fu uh, screening. Yeah. there might uh, uh, Was there one maybe a couple weeks ago? I feel like the answer is no to that. Then that's a good answer. I like it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> but we're coming down because there it's a double 
Bruceploitation screening. And uh, the second film, we, we've actually already seen on the big screen. I'm pretty sure that you were with me that on my birthday a couple years ago. And that yeah. is Chinese Connection Part 2, right? Uh, or Fist of Fury Part 2. Now, yeah. real quick side note. Remember, a lot of these Bruceploitation films shared the same title or depending on the territory had the same title as another one well i mean we obviously saw different titles even within bruce lee's movie uh fist of fury was released here as the chinese connection originally right so there can be a lot of confusion so uh we've already previously seen the bruce Lai ho chung dao film fist of fury part two or chinese connection part two which uh even though i'm a huge bruce Lai fan it, it wasn't necessarily my favorite but it was one when i saw it on the big screen it it captivated me. I was like, all right, this is a movie that was meant to be seen on the big screen. And that's a problem with a lot of these copies we have of these Bruce Bloitation films is their pan and scans. You know, they're from yep. old VHS rips and, you know, a, a quarter of the screen gets cut off and it's just you're not seeing it the way it was meant to be seen. Imagine watching The Godfather and half of Marlon Brando's face is off the screen every time he's giving a monologue. It just doesn't work, which is why it's so fantastic that individuals uh, like Michael Wirth and these companies are seeking out uh you know the film copies of these they're doing 2k 4k restorations even the criterion collection now is getting in on it and we're getting finally blu-ray masters of these films and we're seeing mm -hmm. them like we've never seen them before so for example getting to see fist of fury part two on the big screen for the first time i suddenly loved it i was like wow when you can actually see everything that's going on this is a great movie but the main reason we are going and the main reason we're driving so far, that is Jessica and myself, is for a screening of The Big Boss Part 2. Not to be confused with uh, Dragon Lee's, uh, what was it called? Uh, the Big Boss 2, I think is just what it's called. <laughs> so this is maybe like one of the very first Bruceploitation films uh, in a sense. Well, Fist of Unicorn, I think, is pretty much the first. But either which way, The Big Boss Part 2, which is so rare, there's only a select few copies of it in existence and on film I, on film or no even in general anywhere try finding it on the really? internet yeah there and quentin tarantino owns one of the only copies and so i remember i think the last time they screened it was right before i moved to la and so i've never had the chance to even watch this movie uh and it it picks up right where the big boss ends uh, yeah, where Ching Chao An, Bruce Lee's character, is executed and his brother comes for revenge. And the interesting part is Bruce Lee's character, Ching Chao An, is actually played by Bruce Lee in his first Bruceploitation role. It's a very quick uh, part of the beginning. But then the rest of the film stars Lo Lee, a very famous kung fu actor. Mm -hmm. And I've never had the chance to see this movie. You know, odds are it's probably more in that kind of... Uh, basher genre as now it is now called kind of the very rough and tumble style choreography not the cleanest not the best performers but it's going to be an awesome experience we have a little group going so anyone in the la area uh, support these screens i think there's still tickets available come check it out it's awesome the new beverly cinema is awesome and i'm super looking forward to it i i also haven't seen this movie so i am definitely looking forward to it and if any of our listeners show up, uh, you pull up the podcast on your phone, we will use a Sharpie and sign your phone. Yes. Actually, and please feel free to come <laughs> up and say hello to us. I yeah. That would be an awesome experience if, you know, someone actually was like, hey, you're, you're Adrian Gavin from the Martial Arts Mania podcast. We're, we're pretty friendly guys, I must say. Uh, so yeah, we're, just no eye, no eye contact. No eye contact. We're kind of like Howie Mandel. We won't shake hands. We'll fist bump. Uh, but don't even think about touching my hand. 
But uh, I digress. Anyway, uh, so that's uh, that's out of the way. That's kind of the only thing coming up. Uh, so yeah, I'll get to come down there. I'll get to train with my sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. Uh, I'm very fortunate, as I said, I've been training at a gym up here uh, in a city called Rancho Cordova, right outside of Sacramento at the, the Yao Yan Filipino kickboxing gym. I love it. Great guys, great team. I'm looking forward to getting back in the ring. I've got, uh, I've got some stuff coming up. You know, nothing solidified yeah. yet, but uh, the the amateur circuit is popping back up. So I've uh, I've been offered a couple things. So we're that's really great. Yeah, I'm so looking forward to like coming out supporting and woo! and being in the corner if, if uh, with you and, and supporting you. So hey, that it may be... it may come down to that. It may come down yeah. to that. That's <laughs> called being a fighter on a budget. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but do you have any opening questions for me today? This is a little you bit know, impromptu. I... We're we're not. Uh, it's not as formalized as our usual episodes, and we're not necessarily talking about a particular genre or a particular actor or film or anything. So ba- based on what we will be talking about mm-hmm. or what, what our loose subject is, I, my question, the question I want to start with is, do you have, are there some training sequences in martial art films? And I have a feeling one is already going to be Fearless Hyena. Uh, training sequences in martial art films that have that inspire you even like to this day that uh, that I don't know, I'll speak to you oh that's you know here's the deal I'm I'm notorious for uh, and YouTube's such a great tool for this now uh, some days where I'm feeling a little lackluster like or I'm slow in the morning typically it's when I've got a second workout to do right and I'm like I'm sluggish or I don't want to get going I pop on you know uh, something on YouTube uh Usually, so uh, something to get me pumped up, right? And so in the past, we're talking my younger days, it was always a training montage from a movie. Like I'd physically take the DVD and put it in, right? Yep. As I've kind of evolved and matured as a martial artist slash fighter, now I watch a lot of highlight reels. Like there's some great ones set to pulse pounding techno music that just get me going and i'm like yeah yeah steve superkick vic yeah rick the jet rufus yeah peter sugarfoot cunningham ah, jerry the golden boy trimble yeah so uh like all these guys i just i love to watch them deal apollo cook and because these are all fighters that i've looked up to right and i try to learn from and analyze so that's the kind of stuff that gets me going as for like the old school when i used to particularly watch training montages you betcha there's all sorts that would uh get me pumped up i mean obviously there's the rocky films right yeah. you know but I mean, and, they're I mean, in a class of their of, own they're in a class of their own they're all fantastic i i, I after your last visit here uh I was like, you know, I need to, I need to get back to running. So the first morning when I was going to go get back to running, I was just dragging my feet. So I threw on the mon- training montage uh, from Rocky Three, the, nice. the running on the beach. Yeah. And I'm like, all right, now let me put on that jam and 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 take it a take it a mile and a half. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, they're in a class of their own, as I said. Uh, definitely, always loved putting on Kickboxer. You know, the, the, the training montages and kickboxer are, are awesome. Jean-Claude Van Damme, of course. Uh, I, I'd have to say I probably didn't put on, uh, like, the, the kung fu ones as much. Because in my younger days, a lot of my, my focus on the gym, actually we'll end up talking about this today, was not necessarily the most uh, constructive or, uh, 
as we like to say, functional training. It was more like I was, I started off kind of in bodybuilding and stuff. So I wanted to see mm -hmm. more like muscly, like, uh, Western machismo. Yeah. So that's hence why there was a lot of the Rocky movies, right? There was, uh, you know, even like the opening of commando maybe would get me pumped up. Right. Uh, things of that nature but yeah when it's just coming to like awesome kick-ass training montages you're right i love fearless hyena uh i love i'm a huge snake in the eagle shadow fan right mm -hmm. and i love those and i think we've talked about this before i'm actually not the biggest fan of the original drunken master i feel like it took me so long to find a copy of it i know and for some people it's probably like oh, it was so easily accessible it wasn't for me i looked and looked and looked and by the and for some reason snake and the eagle shadow i found very early on but by the time i found drunken master i guess the the, the slapstick comedy in it was almost a little much for me uh i guess i i i almost <laughs> you almost don't even like the wong fei hung character or freddie wong in the english dub right it's like god he's such mm -hmm. a brat Whereas in Snake and the Eagle Shadow, Jackie's character is just this poor orphan kid, right? And you, 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 you like him, you sympathize, you know, for him, uh, or you have sympathy for him, you sympathize with him. But uh, I'd say when we talked about this movie last time, it was more so the old school Shaw Brothers ones, particularly anything post. 36 Chambers of Shaolin because 36 mm -hmm. Chambers of Shaolin, it's very interesting when you look at the time period that film came out. It's like, who created the training montage originally? You can go back as early as like Silent Cinema and even uh, Buster Keaton, and I believe it was his film, The Battling Butler, where there's like elements of the training montage and some mm -hmm. of the early stuff even filmed, we're talking late 1800s, early 1900s, were boxing matches, sporting events. And so you'd see sometimes the, the training behind it too. Uh, but really like what we define as the training montage, it's like, 1976 is a very interesting year because around that same time we have Rocky come out we have for example I love the training montages in Bruce Lee The Man the Myth another Bruce Lai film it's very yeah. functional training that Bruce Lai is doing in there and a lot of plyometrics and stuff like that and then you have the 36 Chamber of Shaolin that came out around that same time and it's sort of like was it one of those elements of synchronicity right where like everyone's just suddenly doing the same thing at the same time or was it like did they see rocky and or reversed it stallone happened to see a kung fu movie i don't know but uh i just give you a very long convoluted answer so pretty much no, no, that, that's kind of like how i like to watch uh training montages no that, that's great i, I think uh you know well, the, one of the first ones that that i i ever saw was uh the opening sequence of Wheels on Meals, Spartan X with yes. uh, Jackie and you. I was going to say that one. And I was like, you know, for me, that was like, oh, this, this is, this is the life I want. Um, when I was growing up, I just thought, every, I thought they were the coolest, and particularly, I, I don't know that. I think that was my second or first or second movie uh, exposed to Jackie Chan, and I became like. Yoon Biao is the coolest man on this planet. Let's clarify something real quick because that is one I would put on because it's so short and sweet and it's right in the intro, but it has to be the Spartan X version slash the original Western English yeah. dub with the badass uh, rocking. Japanese soundtrack. Well, it's not just Japanese because it was also for uh, the original English dub. So it's kind of yeah. the, the, the rocking uh Rocket like '80s rock soundtrack. It's very Rocky esque uh, in a sense, almost. You know, yeah. like Survivor's "Eye of the Tiger" or Queen's uh, "Another One Bites the Dust" type thing. It just pumps you up. But when you watch the original Cantonese one, 
it's just a whole different sequence because the music's so slow and it does not fit at all. It doesn't. It doesn't. I, um, as far as like other training sequences that I really, I've always, en- I've always enjoyed the the straight to video movies, particularly the ones with uh, with Billy Blanks doing training hey. and one where he was being trained by Mako and then, or it was like, yeah, Mako trained him uh-huh. right in one film, and then the one where he's training. So that's uh, Balance of Power, right? The one with Mako. Balance of Power, and then you're going to say Showdown. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it as a joke, right? When you said, uh, asked me this question, (laughs) but but as I was about to say it as a joke, I was like, wait a minute, but I do actually like that whole training montage. And that's one of the best examples where they took the protagonist and I don't remember the actor's name. I remember our antagonist is Ken McLeod and of course, Patrick Kilpatrick, but, uh, they, and in retrospect now as an adult, you can see it a lot more, but this dude is ripped to the bone, right? He is just yeah. cut as hell. And they somehow managed to pretty well hide that throughout the whole movie by giving him really big sweaters and t-shirts. So yeah, when it, it, it when it gets to that sequence at the end suddenly and then like you see him training and now he's all I mean, he is jacked and you're like, "Wow, he he got in good shape." <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you know, it's funny because you mentioned uh, Kickboxer because you can't not watch Kickboxer and and just be like watching uh, you know, Jean-Claude Van Damme just hurl his shin into the into the bamboo and just be inspired by that. But uh, Lady Kickboxer, no, Lady Dragon, mm. gets oh, that training sequence kind of gets overlooked. It's basically like a, it looks I, I like Kickboxer. It, it's I mean, kind of a ripoff. Yeah, she's in but, she's in that jungle setting. She's doing you know yeah. yeah. But that's the only time I think we truly see her doing an all-out training sequence. Uh, as opposed to some of our other films. But, you know, one of the reasons we bring this up is we're going to be talking about training. I do have one more question sure. for you. It's not going to be a long one. But when you look at films and the nutrition that some of the characters uh, intake, like at the early parts of the film, I have a question. Here, Here's the question. Brian Bosworth, Stone Cold, did you want him to drink that smoothie at the very beginning? And do you even know what I'm talking about? Here's the deal. You might not. Well, obviously, <laughs> Brian Bosworth cinema is one I haven't really dived into as much as I should have. <laughs> as a kid, I saw uh, the one title is it's like One Cold Bastard, right? Or uh, uh, which one is that? The one that has bastard in the title. The one with the MC Hammer. I've- Oh, this isn't the one with yeah. MC Hammer. So it's funny because on my Hulu, one of his movies popped up recently on like one of the add-ons. And I'm like, I need to watch that because I really, for people that don't know, Brian Bosworth was an NFL player that then transitioned into, I guess what you'd call a quasi-successful action career, like in the early yeah. and mid-90s in a market that was kind of maybe even oversaturated because there were so many low-budget straight-to-video ones coming out. Uh, we'll just say he was a lot more successful than Howie Long. <laughs> Yes. Yes. Yeah, so unfortunately, uh, I don't know the exact reference you're talking about. Okay. Well, the re- the reference you maybe later on you want to go watch this reference, but basically he takes some, he throws in a bunch of stuff. I think there's chips, two Snickers bars, some milk, and he just like pours makes it into a smoothie. And I'm like, okay, he's gonna drink it. This is like the most over the top American movie opening. We're gonna outdo, le- we're gonna out lethal lethal weapon. Ooh. We're gonna out die hard die hard, and then. Uh, and you know he has this huge mullet and everything and so then what does he do with the smoothie he pours it in a bowl on the ground for his pet uh, iguana ah. so then I'm like 
So it's like, it, it just goes, the whole movie is entirely over the top. It's probably his biggest uh, film production, but this would have been a really good joke if you knew what I was talking well, about. So I think listener, it's interesting, though, because I'd want to know what year that came out. Because if you remember, Schwarzenegger did a similar thing in End of Days, where he takes all like the food on his counter. It's like Chinese yes. food and stuff, puts in a blender, and then he drinks it himself. <laughs> and it's like Kevin Pollack, his partner's in there. It's like, what the hell are you doing? Um, yeah. Obviously a much different film. But uh, I'll have to check that one out. Oh, it's 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 actually as far as Bosworth movies go, and I've only seen I think three, and I think there are more than three. This is by far the this is the gold standard of Bosworth, and it's because of uh, and I'm on a blank, and I don't have my pencil with me this week on purpose because I'm going to scratch down the notes so I can remember it later. But that always gets picked up in the microphone. But anyway, I'll, uh, it has some, a great cast member in it, uh, Lance Henriksen, Ooh. is in it with. Uh, uh, Richie from uh, where's Richie? Oh, <laughs> from uh, for justice. Brrr, uh, okay, his dad was the voice on Charlie's Angels. Uh, man, hold on. Do, 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 this do, is the do, whole episode. I was trying to remember. This yeah, trying to name. remember. Okay, uh, has anybody seen Richie? Has anybody seen Richie? You're, you're talking about uh, Richie, right? I'm talking about Richie. Yeah, because uh, oh, and he was also in the Substitute, and he lost a bunch of weight. Uh, he was in a Richard Norton movie as well. I think Richard Norton was trying to kill him. Uh, he was in direct hit. I think it was the, that was a Richard Norton movie. But for some reason, I can know that I know this guy's film resume. I don't know his Forsyth. name. Forsyth. Forsyth. Thank you, William, William Forsyth. William? Yes, there you go. his dad. What was his dad's name? But either which way. Yes. Isn't this a great segue into our topic? Yeah, because it he makes lost a, lot a lot of weight. Because he lost a lot of weight. So what we're going to talk about today, <laughs> and this episode is directly inspired by a good friend of the podcast, great supporter, uh, awesome dude, Sifu Alex Richter of the Kung Fu Genius Podcast, because he's been doing a lot of Q and As recently. People like the Q&As. I love his Q&As, but I also like when he talks about other stuff, too. And for some reason, people seem to just want a lot of these Q&As. And I feel so bad because people, they, they, they want the Q&As, but it's like they didn't listen to the previous one because he gets asked the same darn questions over and over again. Mm-hmm. So I figured I'd get him, give him a bit of a reprieve when it comes to, he, he gets asked a very uh, a similar question a lot, and he does such a great job of answering it. But I figure maybe for the future, he can then just segue people over to our episode talking about it is fitness training with martial arts this kind of idea of do you need to do fitness training separate from your martial arts training is fitness training separate from your martial arts training good for you is it detrimental to your martial arts performance or is it going to help it out so you become a better martial artist what is too much training maybe what is too little training etc etc and i'm one of those individuals that has kind of gone through the whole shebang of things and i unfortunately never i I, you know i'm so lucky now to have my sensei our sensei peter sugarfoot cunningham but for a long time there i was kind of learning on my own like when you especially even with traditional martial arts you know with these bigger schools and stuff uh you know, you don't get that one-on-one time with the coach or the sensei or necessarily a personal trainer, you know, and obviously I started in that era where we didn't have YouTube yet. So it was like what you learn from your friends or magazines. Uh, and even the science of what we now call functional training has really been almost the last decade or so. So I think this is an interesting, uh, subject we can talk about because obviously now for me as a competitive kickboxer, my training has evolved tremendously. Uh, over the past decade or so to a point now where I feel like I kind of have the system I know that works best for me, how to train when 
I'm getting ready for a fight, how to train when it's like I'm a couple months out, how to train when I've got nothing going on. Uh, if anything, you know, I, I love working out. If anything, it's almost like I'm addicted to it. So I also have to know sometimes when to tone it down. Uh, and so that's kind of what we're gonna talk about today. So it's interesting though, because especially within traditional martial arts, a lot of them still hold this stigma of working out, especially weights or anything like that, is bad for you. It's gonna hinder your performance as a martial artist. Oh, it's gonna slow you down. Uh, kind of these same ideas that used to be associated with a lot of traditional sports. And it took years for them to evolve and kind of be like, oh, you know, maybe we should lift weights. Maybe it will help us perform better. Uh, and et cetera, et cetera. So for you, you, as a soccer player your whole life, how does this correlate? So was was physical conditioning always a part of your soccer training? Was it discouraged at any point? Uh, do you have any insight that we can maybe uh, bring to the table coming from another sport? So I, I think... I think def for me, definitely, I can speak to when I was doing training outside of soccer and then when I slowed that up and then when I had to jump back into the training. Uh, so again, I initially I was running track and I was worried about like getting too big and getting in the gym because we used to have one gym day for track a week on Fridays. And we had uh, uh, one teacher who would like really stress, you guys got to get fit. And we were all like afraid, oh, we don't want to get too big. So then he started getting us to watch uh, Michael Johnson, the track runner who won uh, the gold medal in the 400 and the 200 uh, later in life, if I believe, at the 96 Atlanta Olympics. That's about right. Because I remember yeah. uh, as a kid, I was about that age because I remember thinking, when I first heard his name, I was like, Michael Jordan's in the Olympics? Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> not, not the dream team, Michael Johnson. And I was like, oh, okay, different guy. Yeah, yeah and he, he brought, I think he brought home was three or four gold medals that, uh, that, that year. I mean, he was, but he, the reason he was able to do that is because he stayed in shape for so long, whereas so many other athletes, uh, you know, dip. So for me, I was, I, when I was, when I was playing quite well and pre-injury, I was riding my bike multiple times a week and playing at least three times a week. So, tra so training in games plus cardio. And I took one day off a week, Monday, I always took Mondays off the day after the game, 100% off. And I would just, you know, I'd eat a lot of food and recover. Uh, I, once I started getting injured, I had to cut scale back. So mm -hmm. I didn't want to miss out on soccer. So I started scaling back on the other stuff. And then I started getting more and more injured. Mm. And that's when I first sought out Don right. in Las Vegas. And, you know, I, I, I was, I mean, when you have a certain skill set, uh, I know I sound like Liam Neeson now I'm taking, but when you have a certain skill set, those skills can carry you. Uh, beyond where your body maybe should carry you right. sometimes. Uh, and I was doing that. And then when I went to see Don, I have some early photos of that. I'm like, oh, when I look back, I'm like, I thought it was fit, but I was kind of not plump, but like not at that top shape. So I started working with Don and then he, I was visiting him every few months. And then he's like, you need to find someone in LA who can help you. And then that's when he referred me over to, you know, Benny the Jet. But, you know, the commute into the valley Sensei Ben, I should say, but the commute into the valley and back after work, sometimes it would just make more sense for me to go to Dawn and get like three days in mm -hmm. and get some training and bring that home. But that's when I started kickboxing. And so ironically, to answer your question, 
the kickboxing helped prolong my my high for me my highest level of playing and also brought me into a, a greater level of shape so in many ways it's like the reverse where uh, kickboxing was helping the soccer rather than like the stuff outside helping the kickboxing right and now now that I've like now I use soccer as a way to you know still have a lot of fun but like just kick it kick the ball around here and there every every week or so and it's interesting because this is this this concept of training smarter not harder now that doesn't mean you don't train hard you have to train hard to be the best at any sport you do but then you might get to a point like where I was at one point in my kickboxing career where you're training way too hard and it becomes detrimental. That's when you have to train yeah. smarter, not harder. But training smarter, not harder is not an excuse to not train hard. Uh, yeah. And so for me, it's interesting because when I first started martial arts, and I've talked about this, my very first school in the mid-90s, we're talking 1995, February of 95, January of 95, around there. Uh, I started in a Taekwondo school, but I'm pretty sure it was actually uh, Tongsudo or like kind of almost like Korean karate style. Pretty much when I think back to what we learned during that period and what we did, we looked a lot like Chuck Norris. We did not look like <laughs> Olympic level Taekwondo, explosive sparring, flying through the air. No, that it was very much the more grounded, traditional looking like Chuck Norris, even the kicks we did, right? Like the way we did our mm -hmm. spinning uh, wheel. We didn't really do spinning wheel kicks. We did spinning crescent kicks, right? Like, you know, Chuck Norris. Uh, but so for that first year, it was, once again, it was in the back of a computer store. It's like they shared the building. His son ran a computer store in the front. And so the, the larger space in the back is where the Taekwondo slash Judo school was. We did both. three Because uh, we went five nights a week. So it was three nights Taekwondo, two nights Judo. Uh, and the training was very old school in that sense. You know, a lot of just repetitions of kicks, punches. Uh, a lot of conditioning push-ups on our knuckles all the time mm -hmm. core work this as I said I always remember just being drenched in sweat and exhausted uh, you know a lot a lot of physical conditioning and stuff kind of that old school martial arts training and then after a year or so that's when they segued into uh, martial arts America one of those big conglomerate franchises where it definitely it ends up being more like a McDojo now, right? And suddenly the hard training's gone. Now instead we get 10 minutes of story time at the end, almost like chicken noodle soup for the soul type stuff, which don't get me wrong, chicken noodle soup for the martial artist soul is a great <laughs> book. I'm reading that as a kid, but you don't want that, like, you know, and you were given homework and stuff and it was just, it became like a babysitter's program, right? So after years of that, I, I find what I thought was a Kung Fu school ends up, it was a faux martial arts style. There's a lot of those in America. At least there used to be uh, the advent of the internet and the increase of everyone's exposure to MMA has helped, uh, you know, eliminate a lot of these dojos or schools. So once again, another kind of McDojo. And this one uh, is funny, was the first time I was given the lecture of Oh, working out is bad for you. And I remember the head instructor telling me this. Keep in mind, this is also a head instructor who has what we would probably now coin, uh, uh, he had what we would now coin as a dad bod. You know, <laughs> not fat anywhere, not in great shape anywhere, but then like with a little bit of the gut or a, a noticeable beer gut of sorts, right? Yeah. It's like the skinny fat is sometimes is called. And uh, once again, not trying to be offensive to anybody, this is just kind of the terminology to, so people can relate, right? And I remember him like constantly telling me, no, working out is bad for you. Lifting weights, no, it's bad for you. 
what about like real sparring? No, 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 it's bad for you because you develop bad habits. You know, we do slow, it was called honorable sparring where you move super slow, like almost Tai Chi speed, and then your brain learns how to counter it in advance. It's like, okay, but I, I would ask so many questions and I was so inquisitive because I was already a martial arts and kung fu nut that right from the get-go, I became suspicious. But I, you know, I, I'm like, what, 12 years old at this time, 13, and I, I didn't think, I never experienced what would be almost like a con job, right? Even if they yeah. are kind of well-intentioned. But it, it's like, then I start to notice, I'm like, wow, all these instructors here are not in even, you came in not just good shape, they're just not in shape. It's either there's they were super like skinny uh, with no athleticism to be found or, you know, overweight or this or that. Uh, and so after like a year of being that school, at that school, I kind of realized, wow, this is, this is, uh, oh yeah, those are sirens in the background. What's up, Venice? Yo, yo, yo. Uh, I realized, okay, this isn't for me. So then I was fortunate enough where I got to go. I finally found a traditional Wing Chun school for a year. It was in Stockton, California. Nice. It, was, it was like a 25 minute to 30 minute drive. So I only got to do it for a year because uh, high school got so intense. But that's where I got back into, we did like old school kind of conditioning training. Once again, you know, even a lot of calisthenics, isometrics, right? I mean, so sure, push-ups, abs, but then a lot of holding of like the horse stance, a lot of holding bricks in our hands with our arms extended, right? Like that kind of isometric training where you're just like, oh, what's this gonna do? And your grip is it. You're like, oh my God, a lot of wrist rollers, a lot of old school stuff. So I was like, okay. So more conditioning in that sense, but still, no exposure to supplementary training outside of the gym, right? Yeah. And so years later, I'm in college, uh, and then that's when I personally get into bodybuilding, like senior year of high school, really. And so I get hardcore into it. I still love the sport. Uh, I never competed or anything, but I was also a small, skinny Italian kid. I was trying to get bigger. You know, I wanted to be buff. And so I got hardcore into bodybuilding and had been into that already for about four or five years when I got into kickboxing. Now in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, I'm working out really hard and I'm doing kickboxing. I should be amazing, right? But little did I know how detrimental my bodybuilding training was to my kickboxing, especially when I started actually like competing or, you know, I started in the smoker circuit, right? Uh, doing smokers and kind of what are now called like PKB tournaments point kickboxing yeah uh the smokers would be full contact but you know unsanctioned and then pretty much i just had terrible cardio i had a ton of bloated muscle mass and as we all know the the larger your muscles are the more blood flow you need the more blood flow you need to those muscles the less it's going to take away you know uh from other paths that can be using it and you know you're going to have terrible cardio pretty much how how did you do in the in those early days of the smoker? Oh, terrible, like, terrible! Like really, really and bad. And was it and was it because of the the I don't want to call it excessive, but because of the weightlifting? Oh, a hundred percent. Because I wasn't doing any other conditioning, so I would I would go to my classes, which were great. My coach did ran a great class. We did a lot of like we actually did a lot of cardio kickboxing to warm up, and I like that. Mm-hmm. You know, we did our traditional sprint drills within the class and this and that. But then outside of the gym, I was doing just old school prolonged two hour bodybuilding sessions, right? And so I I wasn't, and this is where we now get into the delicate area of strength versus power. So I was super strong. not my legs, though. I had little chicken legs. I was one of those guys. You know, the memes or GIFs, uh, GIFs like, don't let your friends skip leg days. Oh, yeah, I skipped leg day all the damn time. But I was huge up top. 
uh, at that point. I mean, I was 163 pounds, I remember, at my heaviest because I had trouble keeping on weight because uh, of the metabolism and so forth. But up 163, top, so and at what height? Uh, five foot ten, what I am now. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah so, but I looked like 180 something up top, right? I was yeah. real big. I mean, at that point, you know, I, I hit my max bench press, like three plates on each side. So like 315, you know, I could curl the, a lot of people's bench press. It was, it, you know, nothing functional. So here's the difference. I was super strong, but was I powerful? No, because what power can be defined as, and I, this is what I got from John Little's book. He did, uh, on Bruce Lee's training methodologies, the art of expressing the human body, right? Uh, which is one of the most influential books for me. Uh, and I'm sorry if I'm getting the title wrong. I'm pretty sure that's what it is, the art of expressing the human body. Uh, hold on, let me double check that real quick. The art of expressing the human body. Yes, exactly. So uh, that's where I had first read the concept of Strength versus power. Strength is, yes, I have the ability to like raw, do one rep, two rep maximum of this particular exercise. Power is the ability to use that strength functionally in an athletic endeavor. And I most definitely could not do that at that time. So, you know, I would come out there, people, and I would hit the pads beforehand as I'm warming up. I remember one of my smoker fights I did uh, later on, uh, everyone also, you know, I didn't know how to like pace myself. So I'm warming up at the beginning where I was fight number like 25. So this is what people have to remember, like with smoker fights, you can have literally 20 something fights. You can be there for four or five hours before you fight. It's almost like a tournament bracket, right? So I remember I'm hitting the pads and everyone's like, dang, that guy's beastly. But then it's like, I get in the ring and I would even, so at this point I have a little more experience, you know, 30 seconds in, I look great. And then I just gas. And that's the worst feeling in the world. Nobody likes that. And when you're in the ring and someone's trying to punch you in the face, you literally just want to give up because you can barely, not that you're afraid of getting hit in the face, you just, the, if you've never felt that pure exhaustion and you're supposed to keep going, it's, it's, it's a terrible feeling. Nobody likes it and it's pathetic, <laughs> especially when you're trying to uh, compete. So for me, I my training at that time was an example of external training outside of my martial arts being detrimental. And I think this is kind of the thing that a lot of traditional martial arts will cling on to. Well, see, ooh, lifting weights is bad for you. Lifting weights slows you down. Lifting weights, uh, you know, makes you uh, bulky and you, you can't throw your punches properly. And, da, 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 da. and it's like, yeah, so that's why you don't see a whole lot of successful uh, bodybuilders uh, in competitive, uh, like full contact martial arts, right? And in the, in the ones you've maybe seen in the past, well, they may have uh, perhaps been taking uh, other supplements that allowed them to uh, perform to those abilities in early uh, organizations such as Pride or, you know, uh, any maybe kickboxing ones from 20-something years ago, even the K1 ones, I don't know. But uh, that being said, I, I definitely had to learn how to train properly for kickboxing when I decided to really pursue it. And it was a long, arduous process, mostly because I didn't want to let go of the bodybuilding. And it was partially an ego thing. And it was partially, mm -hmm. uh, and I think this is something people don't want to talk about a lot. Uh, there's definitely that element almost of body dysmorphia that goes with that. So in the sense of I was super skinny, right? I was super... Uh, it, growing up and stuff and I wanted to be more masculine and so that's what bodybuilding did and it gave me more confidence, right? I got more muscular. I, I you know, uh, 
I felt better about myself. I didn't want to let that go. And I was afraid, you know, oh no, I can't let that go. Uh, but as long as I just, you know, train hard, I could still do both. And so that was definitely an also partial ego element I couldn't let go of, right? I wanted to be, I wanted to be big still, but now I'm suddenly doing this sport where especially with me naturally, if I'm this lean skinny guy, uh, and I would find out later that actually, uh, my build has been very good for kickboxing. A lot of people will now like guess my weight and I'm like, no, you're off by about like, you know, 15 pounds. I'm lighter. <laughs> and even the other day in the gym, one of the other fighters in the gym who, uh, assumed I was probably, I think about 10 or 15 pounds heavier than him. I was like, oh, my scale's broken because our one here, the house is broken. I was like, can I check it? And so this is after training. So we're, you know, particularly light. Uh, and so he gets on. Okay. And then I get on and it's literally the exact same weight. He's like, oh, it hasn't reset itself yet. Uh, you need to move it a little bit. So it's <laughs> like, okay. And then I get on it. It's still the same weight. He's like, okay, hold on, hold on. You got to move it. Now put your foot on it, you know, and let it start to charge, then step off, then get on there. I was like, okay. So I do that again. Then I get on there, still the exact same weight. And he's like, we're the same weight? And I was like, yeah, just because I have that really lean build. So as I got farther into, you know, my kickboxing, it's like, okay, I got to start running. And I hated running. I, and for a note, I naturally have terrible cardio. I was not born, like as a kid, I ran a terrible mile. I was, I was good at the short little sprints. So my anaerobic is good. You know, my fast twitch muscles are very good, which has been helpful. But I had just the complete polar opposite when it came to more aerobic, uh, longer uh, base cardio endeavors, right? Well, and you know, before you get into your, your jogging, like uh, what was very interesting is, I think we talked about in the, the previous episode where uh, when, when when you came back after a run, you did, uh, we did Nitro Kick. Uh-huh. You know, Don Nimes, Nitro Kick. Um, and at the, at the end of the day, I'm like, okay, well, that was... Well, we were counting how many workouts we did. And I was like, oh, that's three f- for me and like four for you or something like, you know, we were like just counting like how, how hard like we worked that day. And then you're like, no, no, the jog and nitro kick, that is one workout for me. And I'm like, that's, that, that's, you know. Yeah, much that, different. That, that kind of expanded my thinking because you, you, you only took like a five minute break between the two. So I'm thinking, oh, here's one workout, here's one. But no, you were like, your car, your commitment to cardio extends it, it has extended from being someone who's doesn't like running and you still might not like running to someone who's like doing has to get so much time in cardio each day right and that's something i once again i went way too extreme with for a while earlier on like uh so i start you know experimenting with running my 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 performances get a little bit better in those early smoker fights they're still terrible maybe by the last one i did before i moved to thailand was at least I was lasting three rounds and, you know, and, you know, as I always say, I was kind of like a 50-50 fighter at that point. So then I moved to Thailand where running is a huge part of Muay Thai training, especially in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows this, jump rope especially. I was so mm-hmm. bad at jump rope. Uh, as a kid, I could never do it, so I'd run away from it. And then even at my last gym I was at before I moved to Thailand, I, I was the worst. If we were starting warm-up with, excuse me, with jump rope, I'd be like, oh, I left it in my car. And I'd go out there and I'd like pretend I couldn't find it. And then I'd come back right as they're finishing. Oh, I just, I just found it. It's almost like Rob Schneider surfing and surf ninjas, if anybody knows that reference. <laughs> so then I get to Thailand. And first of all, it's like, no, no, no. Uh, you're going to start, especially my private lessons, you have to start with the jump rope. And I'm like, oh my God. And they're the heavy style ones they have in Thailand. For people who don't know, wooden handles, old school wooden handles, but it's like a tube. 
a thick plastic tube, which it weighs a lot more. So it's not the weight that's the issue. You start doing it. In fact, you're like, oh wow, the weight actually carries this tube a lot faster. This is pretty, and then whack. When it hits your toes for the first time, that thick tube, you're like, oh my God, no. The sting, it's, the it's, sting of oh, that. It, it's not just the sting, it's because it's so thick, it like hurts. Yeah. So at first I'm like, all right, so how long am I gonna you know, jump rope for, five minutes? And keep in mind, this is like a private lesson I played for, paid for for an hour, and I heard my coach being like, five, no, 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 20. I'm like, uh, 20 seconds? He's like, no, 20 minute. And I'm like, what? Whereas at that time, five minutes of jump rope was hellacious for me. I couldn't even think about that. And nowadays, jump rope, I can jump rope for like, I don't know, 30 minutes if I wanted to, no problem. Probably an hour. But it's, you know, once again, that's kind of not constructive. that first time after jump roping 20 minutes, how sore were your calves the next two days? You, you know what's funny is that's never been uh, the issue for me, really. Okay. Uh, and like the, the then I guess that's kind of why my fighting style is very much, you know, I'm called the rabbit. I bounce around a lot and I don't have a problem. I can do it for days. Uh, for me, jump rope, it was definitely the, you know, the breathing, especially back then. And my arms and my grip, right? That's what would get me, especially with that heavy one. But so anyways, in Thailand... It's, you know, I start uh, doing a ton of jump rope and then a ton of running as well. And just mm-hmm. the super intense all day training. And I keep in mind at this point, I'm still doing my bodybuilding as well. But I think just because I was doing such intense Muay Thai training, my cardio inherently got better. And then that's when I first started running a lot too. Like I was running more than I ever could in my life. And at that point, it still wasn't counterproductive. It was productive. I'd run every day and I'd run uh, pretty much it was like 5k, maybe three days a week. And then a 10k, like three days a week, because we had this loop where I was in Phuket. It's like, all right, if you go to this sign and this around, that's 5k. But if you go to the next one intersection and around, that's 10k. And so I started running all the time. And, uh, and because the Thai style is a little bit different too. It's like, you know, first two rounds, you're a little bit slower. You're a little, uh, it's funny when you watch, uh, I only have footage of one of my fights in Thailand. When you watch that fight, it's I'm a completely different fighter. Like you watch that, you don't even recognize me because I'm very much of that traditional Thai style, flat-footed. I got my hands up, you know. Uh, and so it, it's a different kind of pacing, right? Yeah. And so at that point, I still haven't given up the bodybuilding, right? I'm still trying to do that. I'm still liking that. Then I go to China and, uh, you know, I don't get to really – train or fight for a long time, a couple of years there. I'm just working. I'm, and then so once again, I just fall back into the bodybuilding every day, right? That's what I'm doing. Uh, but it was actually my first uh, Sanda coach uh, in China, uh, who I just call Shifu. He was actually, uh, I've talked about him before, the, the Shaolin monk one. That was one of the fighting monks. Uh, really great guy. He's actually one of the first pr- people that got me into two what are key essential elements for anybody doing a functional training routine, whether you're a martial artist or not, but sprint work and plyometrics. And so these are kind of elements that even people hesitant to supplement their martial arts training with conditioning outside of it, especially with traditional martial arts. These are things that could be found in traditional martial arts, short sprint work, right? Like, or in basketball and soccer, you got like your sweet 16s, right? Or anything like that. He had me doing a ton of those kind of drills, plyometrics, where he would put me in the pit in the ground and I have to jump out, like almost like an old school Kung Fu movie. It wasn't super deep, right? Like an unrealistic movie, but that was the, the idea. It was like a box jump. 
and we did many little step jumps, mini plyometrics, right? And so he was the first one that introduced me to a lot of this training. So this training can be found in traditional martial arts. So the reason why, so it's kind of interesting that some people are so hesitant to embrace it. So then I get to Shanghai, I get to go to the sports university, I'm training mm-hmm. full time again, and uh, I'm learning Sanda now. I'm training, uh, you know, it's a two and a half hour class, Monday through Friday. Uh, and then I start supplementing, uh, and I'm still doing the bodybuilding, still doing the bodybuilding, right? Still non-constructive strength training, as I guess I can say. But then I also get back into my running, and I go way too hardcore with the running. You know, first it starts off as five kilometers a day. Okay. Okay. Then it suddenly becomes 10 kilometers a day. Okay. Then it becomes 15 kilometers sometimes on top of all my other training. It was insane how much I was running because my mind was like, well, if I just run more and more and more, my cardio will get better and better. But once again, there is such thing as too much of a good thing. Not to mention diet is so key. And my diet at that point was, you know, I would go to the gym. Uh, Shanghai had gyms that actually opened up at like the crack of dawn. So I'd go to the gym and I'd work out from like 5.30 to 7.30 and then I'd get to the sports university by 8.30 and then it was uh, like 8.30 to 11 and then I'd run for like an hour in the indoor track. So by noon, I would go to this like little fast food place on campus and I would literally eat three to four chicken sandwiches, like breaded chicken KFC style sandwiches, two smoothies, you know, like are just chock full of sugar, not healthy smoothies. And I would just chow all that down. Uh, Yes, I was burning that many calories, but that's not the kind of fuel you want to put into your body. No, you're you're, you're absolutely correct. I remember, uh, I mean, I'm sure there's there's a major smoothie chain, so I won't mention their name, but it's not as healthy as like you perceive it to be just because it's a smoothie. But what I would do after, like on the days where I would play two two games, afterwards I would hit this place, get a tall smoothie, and then get a pizza afterwards. And I would, I, I mean, I was burning all the calories. I mean, I'd like on the days that I didn't do that, the next, the day after, the two days after, I just looked, uh, you know, like rail thin, like because I was just burning yeah. everything. So you, you just had to consume this. But if you're, if you're, like, I, I mean, maybe it's. Uh, just saying when you're running all the time, not like literally running, but like literally going from thing to one to the next to the next, you're, I, I don't know about you, but like I found that my decision making when it came to nutrition started start to shut down. If particularly if it wasn't planned and it was, okay, I'm going to hit this this uh, juice place and then I'm going to grab some food and I'm just like loading junk into my body. And once in a and while, then, yeah. And then when hit, then when injury hit hits you then it's like yeah you uh-oh. still want to eat that way you're still you'll still want to eat that way and you also still think it's okay but you're not working out as much or you know there's so many there's so many different things factors but that that food starts to not burn off of you yeah two things it can be also sometimes what you have available to you eating healthy is expensive but it's worth it it's yeah. a good investment uh and once in a while it's okay right like you're allowed to indulge once in a while like a cheat day right but also, I just read this interesting thing yesterday about apparently, don't know if this is true, but when Usain Bolt was in the Beijing Olympics, he was eating 120 McDonald's chicken nuggets a day because it was one of the only things he knew would not get him sick while in China. Yeah. And he needed yeah. that fuel for his body. So, but you have to you have to think about this. Long term, would he do that? No, it's not like the Usain Bolt diet was I eat 120 ch- chicken nuggets every day, all day during all my training. Absolutely not. But, you know, sometimes when push comes to shove, it's like you just got to get yourself a large pizza. But 
so back back to the training. So at this point, you know, I start doing some uh, Sanda fights in China. And once again, uh, pollution didn't help either. But my cardio is still crap. It's still rubbish, right? Like, you know, really? yeah, just is because it, it because you're you're overextending yourself, overextending myself. Uh, sure, I'm doing a lot of prolonged like aerobic training, but I'm not doing any proper anaerobic training yet. Yes, mm-hmm. you do it within the class, like hitting pads and this and that. But you, I, I found I needed to supplement it outside of that. So I remember I did a local one. Then I flew back to America to fight uh, in 2014. It was the WSL, World Sonda League, like amateur championships. Win my first fight because I, I KO'd the guy in the first round, like right out the gate. I'm like, sweet. But this was my first experience fighting multiple fights in one day. Nowadays, that's what Sugarfoot's prepared me to do. But I go in for my second fight and I'm completely gassed, like completely gassed. I was fighting uh, the guy who would go on to win. And I feel like you know, me now, I could have handled that easily, right? But, you know, in retrospect, but at that time, my cardio was just that bad. I remember after that tournament thinking, you know what? This is this is baloney. I got to do something about this. Something I'm doing is not right. I, I, I need to make some changes if I want to take this seriously. And so I came home for a visit. It was my first time home in uh, two years, I think, at that point. Uh, no, no, I came home the summer before. So, uh, but the summer before, it had been two years that I stayed in China. That was my longest stint without uh, going home. And then so I, I remember going into Borders or Barnes & Noble, whichever bookstore <laughs> it was. Bookstores, remember those? And I went to like the workout section, martial arts section. I was looking for a conditioning book. And that's where I bought uh, a book that really helped kind of change uh, my life in a sense. And uh, it was called Warrior Cardio. And it's specifically for MMA conditioning. It's by uh, a trainer named Martin Rooney. Uh, I can't remember. Is it Jim Miller? I think he trained in the UFC. And so it was my first exposure to what we are now going to call functional training, right? Like this is how you train to get ready for a martial arts fight, for an MMA fight, or in my case, kickboxing. And the thing I liked about it was he had the weight and strength training in there. And so this is, and so I was like, wait, I don't have to give up my lifting weights, I just kind of have to do it differently. And on top of it, there's a lot of the exercises that at that time I loved and still needed, right? Like, well, if I'm not doing deadlift, then I'm I'm not training or if I'm not doing bench press, but he had them in there as like the kind of the functional way to do it, right? And so I buy that book and I, I start training much differently. I'm no longer doing bodybuilding at this point. I, I'm doing, uh, I'm doing kind of the, the workouts that he has in the book, not necessarily the exact set way, but I'm kind of picking and choosing a little bit. And I think I'm maybe still supplementing a little bit with some of my traditional bodybuilding and lifting. But I go in and I have a, another fight uh, at the sports university in Shanghai. And uh, I trained myself completely for this fight because my coach had then become a trainer at a gym. And so I went to that gym and like would take his group classes, but he didn't have time to train me one-on-one anymore. And I was no longer going to the sports university. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so I I literally just trained myself, did all my own conditioning, did all my own everything for like three or four months. And then when I go into this tournament at the Shanghai Sports University, it's funny, I remember Jeff, my coach telling me, uh, he's like, oh, your division, very small this year. And I was like, oh, really? He's like, yes, only you and two others. And I was like, wow, why? He's like, because they are afraid. And I'm like, oh, dang, they're afraid of me from uh, last year? He's like, no, 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 not afraid of you, afraid of professional team members. So usually this, it was like an intercollegiate championship. Uh Uh, 
the, the, like, for example, the, the guy I fought the year before was, yes, a lifelong Sonda practitioner. He went to like sports school and stuff, but he wasn't on the professional team. He was just a student at the university. But I guess, and that fight was, I lost a decision, but I mean, it's one of those ones where it's like, you know, as Petey says, or Sugarfoot says, when you're fighting another country, you've got to beat, you know, if you're fighting a guy from that country, you've got to really beat the guy. So yeah. either which way, I guess they didn't like how well I had done the year before because uh, <laughs> my coach is like, yes, profession, uh, the two professional team members, everyone else too afraid and they drop out. And I was like, what? Uh, and so, you know, I see the guy and you know, like he sees me and I'm like, oh, good luck, whatever, you know? And so I'm warming up and I see him and he's, you know, he hits the bag a few times, super good, right? Because these guys, the professional guys even go to school. They just trained. Uh, all day, every day. And that's what they did. They competed uh, against all the other national teams all over Asia, like the Asian games and stuff. And I, I see he sees me and he just kind of has this look of, oh, I don't have to worry about this foreigner. He's not that good. But I, for the first time, had some confidence in my conditioning. And so we go into that fight and I just right out the gate, I'm like, I'm just putting on the pressure. And I ended up, nobody thought I was going to last at all, but I ended up winning the first round. Not only did I win, I out-wrestled him, which was the insane part. I picked him up and threw him, uh, uh -huh. which is part of Sanda. And like, so the fact that I won the first round, I could tell my coach was just like, whoa, what the heck? And then the second round was super competitive. He came back and won. The third round, I was winning, and then he went on Sanda rolls because me, like an idiot, I got on the edge of the lay tie, the platform, and he pushed me off twice. And if you fall off twice, you automatically lose the round. So brilliant strategy on his part. But after the fight, you know, everyone, I, I got a lot of like praise and stuff. Uh, it's funny, his face was all bloodied up because I've been working uppercuts like crazy, which I knew those guys didn't do as much. So I would dirty box and just start uppercutting like an idiot almost. And I just bloodied them all up and I did quite well. Uh, and that was the first time that my conditioning, I wasn't a gassed out, like afraid person, right? I was like, huh? Not, I, I did, still not as well as I would have liked, but much better. But it was funny later, Jeff's like, yes, you did very well. You almost win. But good thing you did not win. And I was like, why? <laughs> oh, because other professional team member would hurt you very bad. Because <laughs> I guess that guy was like one of the literally top guys in China. And when uh -huh. I saw the two of them fight later, uh, briefly, you know, for the, the championship, uh, uh, the guy I fought against his teammate, oh, it wasn't even close. And, th and this guy was also huge. I'm like, how would he have made weight? But either which way. <laughs> so from that point, that's where I started getting even like more. I was like, okay, I can do this. I can make a difference. So at that point, I was like, hey, I'm getting my conditioning down. Now I want to really get some cleaner technique down. That's when I found my Savat coach in Thailand. And then from there, I was like, all right, for like kind of my sprint work and my cardio, warrior cardio, this book's been great. I wanna figure out how to really functionally lift weights though if I still wanna do that. So then I bought what would be like my first strength and conditioning book uh, by Dr. Robert Remedios, I believe is his name. And so all these books and experiences changed everything for me. And it was still a long, prolonged process. Me actually getting my personal trainer certification and my MMA conditioning trainer certification two years after that made a huge difference too. I learned even more about like the anaerobic pathways and this and that and your VO2 max and how to do this and how to get ready for a fight and how, you know, and I then I learned, you know what, I'm carrying too much muscle mass. I have to tone it down. I have to change the way I lift my weights and this and that. And I discovered that when I first started training with Sugarfoot and the guys and Herman and stuff, I was a really good one round fighter at that point. But mm -hmm. the pace they would push, I was like, holy moly, I've never moved with guys like this that just have this prolonged pace with 
stellar technique. And so it, it's, it's been a learning experience over all these years. I know this is a very long convoluted way of uh, getting to this, but I just kind of wanted to share with people my background and my journey and you know my insight. So for, for me, we're, we're gonna talk about kind of now some of the key things I've picked up as to whether you need to supplement your martial arts training with physical fitness training outside of the dojo, whether uh, you uh, and how much you need to do, what you need to do. So for example, let's say you are just training for fun, okay? Uh, and you just wanna get in shape, okay? So, and maybe you don't like working out, like that's the thing, oh, I've always hated working out, I'm, I'm gonna go into martial arts because it's the way I can lose weight and stuff, sure. You have to make sure, though, that that class you're going to, if you're drenched in sweat at the end, good job. You know, you're in a class, especially if it has mm -hmm. that old school type of martial arts training I was talking about with like calisthenics, isometrics. Uh, a lot of, you know, you're doing like maybe tons of bodyweight squats, tons of push-ups, tons of the even just running circles around the gym, little sprint work. Okay, we're going to do partner work. Okay, we're going to hit the heavy bag. And one of the key factors for any sort of training routine I try to tell people, unless you're doing obviously like maximal strength training or powerlifting, is non-stop movement. Yes, you take, breaks are important, this is true. Uh, and obviously how long you rest in between sets or different routines depends on the kind of training you're doing. But nine times out of 10, it should be short and controlled, meaning it's consistent and not the, huh, I need an extra 30 seconds. No, you, you need to be consistent uh, with your rest periods, but really you should keep moving the whole time. As I tell people, my workouts really, start to finish the actual working out part, not the warm up and stretching, should be like one hour, but I'm always moving. Yes, I might take 30 seconds rest here, but it's it's part of the routine, maybe a minute rest here. Uh, and that doesn't mean it's the whole time, you know, it's, it, it's just you constantly keep moving, keep moving, keep moving, active stretching, this, that. So if you just wanna get in shape and lose weight in your martial arts class, uh, you're, you're drenched in sweat at the end, you're moving the whole time, you're working hard, you, you see a difference, then, I mean, doing that three times a week, you're gonna see good results, right? And for me, like one of the best martial arts to do that is a traditional like Muay Thai class, you know, where you're just constantly, okay, so we start off with, you know, running around the gym or running outside, okay, now it's like five to 10 minutes of jump rope, okay, now it's our heavy bag work, now it's our pad work, blah, 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 that's gonna get you in such good shape I can hear all the typing, by the way. Sorry, I, I'm, ta I'm taking notes from what you're saying. Oh, no worries. So, I was just like... <laughs> I'm trying to type quietly, but yeah. like as you as you get more into it, I'm like typing deeper. Okay, no worries. Harder, so. I like that. Uh, deeper and harder. Deeper and harder. Yeah. But, On uh, the next martial arts mania yeah. podcast, deeper and harder. So Steven for like Seagal. A, yeah, a Muay Thai class like that, you, uh, you're just going to lose you're gonna lose a ton of weight. And if you're not trying to fight as a Muay Thai fighter, you really don't need to supplement outside of that. Especially if you're seeing the results you want, you're getting in great shape, you're losing weight, you're feeling good. That's all that matters. I actually had a family friend who, uh, to get in shape for her wedding for six months was training Muay Thai. She'd never done it. She joined a Muay Thai gym, trained like full time and looked fantastic at the wedding. She told me she lost like 30 pounds. And it's just because, and on top of that Muay Thai, as opposed to, uh, and kickboxing, as opposed to even just regular boxing, it's you're constantly, the way they throw the kicks and that hip rotation, mm -hmm. that's how you, you burn a lot more calories. And the, the people always ask about the love handles and the gut. Once you start adding in those big power kicks, that's how that's gonna happen. Now, let's say you're doing a traditional martial art. Say something like, I'm gonna go extreme here, Tai Chi. 
Oh. Now, the health benefits of Tai Chi, it technically, it's kind of, it's still up in the air amongst experts. Like, is it very, I believe it's good for you. Uh, either way, I believe spiritually it's good for you. I believe it's good uh, for hand-eye coordination, stuff like that, you know, even if it's a placebo effect. But uh, there's been a lot of studies that do show the health benefits of Tai Chi. However, that being said, I will definitely not say that Tai Chi is the best way to, say, lose weight if you really need to lose weight or the best way to uh, get in shape, right? It's it's a nice, low-impact physical activity you can do. But if you – so that's the case where you would definitely need to add some supplementary training to your martial arts training. So in other words, going to the gym. And in that case, once again – Obviously, if you're picking Tai Chi as your martial art, you're not really probably trying to be a competitive fighter. So you're just maybe you're trying to get in shape. So you would want to create like what we call like a functional training routine. You want to combine mm-hmm. all the, the the main key factors, which would be integrated resistance training of some sort. So weightlifting, for lack of a better term, cardio, whether that's, uh, you know, running outside, elliptical, treadmill work, uh, the rower, uh, anything like that core work so you need to make sure you focus on functional core work that's our our tummy everybody because the core is essential it helps with all of our movement and so forth the other uh, another key one plyometrics right so plyometrics are key because they help us uh with uh building power building explosiveness but even just for everyday functional type things right like you want to be able to uh decelerate then accelerate you'd be surprised in your daily life how much uh that happens and then i think maybe uh the last key one would be like speed and quickness training so in other words agility training and this is key for everybody the ability to uh have multi-planar movements you want to all your workouts and training should be multi-planar meaning we're not just focusing on front of us in what we call the sagittal plane right like almost like a lot of traditional bodybuilding would, right? We need to be multi-planar. So we've got sagittal in front of us. We've got the frontal plane to the side of us. Then we've got our twisting, the transverse plane, right? So those are kind of like my key elements that you want to make sure every workout has. So you've got integrated resistance training. You've got your cardio. You've got your core. You've got your speeding uh, quickness training, plyometrics, and making sure it's multi-planar. Now you may be saying to yourself, well, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's really hard to do. Well, Find yourself a, a good personal trainer and invest in some private lessons because as I've, I'm, I'm one that's invested probably tens of thousands of dollars in private lessons with coaches and stuff over the years because I realized the benefit of it. And it's if you truly want to make that investment in yourself, you should do that. Uh, so I digress a little bit. But so they're like, so that was Tai Chi, right? So let's say it's something like, uh, you know, uh, so we'll go, since we talked about Sifu Alex uh, earlier, let's talk about Wing Chun, right? If you're at a good Wing Chun school, even like I was as a kid for that year, you're doing a lot of physical conditioning. Uh, you know, you're feeling good, you're losing weight, you're getting stronger, but you're like, you know what? I feel like I need to do more strength training. So sure, maybe you can supplement uh, with three days a week or maybe two days a week of a functional, just straight up strength training routine. You're like, you know, my cardio is good. Uh, we do a lot of like cardio work in there, but I, I feel like I, you know, I, I'm feeling weak in my legs. I'm feeling my punches. Maybe I want to have a little heavier. Okay. So find a functional training routine, multi-planar, like I said before, maybe two to three days, three days a week, you go to the gym and you do the strength training. And I promise you, if you're doing it in a functional manner, it is going to benefit you. It is going to help you 
in your martial arts training with traditional martial arts. You look at a lot of traditional martial arts styles. So obviously the forms of Wing Chun are much more grounded, right? Like the, the Silam Dao and uh, Chum Q and all those, they, they, they're, you know, they move in the plane, different planes of motion, but you're not jumping around doing anything crazy. Let's look at maybe a, a Northern style uh, form or even like Wushu, uh, a lot of the, the jumping and stuff, that's plyometrics, very explosive. If you're, if you are struggling to get higher up in the air, and you, you're doing it all the time and the repetitions, repetitions, guess what? You're obviously, you, you, you've plateaued, you can't get any higher. How do you get higher? You supplement it with some other training that's gonna help you. Maybe you're doing like uh, a maximal strength training routine, lower reps, heavier weights, and you're trying to build more of that explosive power. Maybe you're using functional tools uh, such as kettlebells and so forth. So if that's the case, it can actually help you with your martial arts performance. Now, if you're a competitive martial artist, uh, let's say Muay Thai, right? Uh, so we were talking about earlier, Muay Thai is being a great solo workout for someone just wanting to get in shape. But let's say you're a competitive fighter, right? And you want to get in shape. Obviously, as I said, when we were training in Thailand, running, it's, it's a, you can't not do it. It's out of the question. But maybe you're like, hey, I want to you know, add some power to my shots. Okay, then you, you need to add some functional maybe circuit training to it you need to add some functional plyometric training and power building and there's now so many great books my the aforementioned warrior cardio and stuff that can lead you on that path to uh creating these workout routines to supplement uh some of that extra work and get you to that next level and I, I pretty much I think that's kind of covered all the different grounds and I, I know this last part was kind of sped up but really so in my opinion there is absolutely no reason for you to not do fitness training outside of your martial arts class because it's only going to benefit you no matter what the circumstance once again doesn't mean you have to depending on what you're training but you should never be afraid to you should never think oh it's going to make me less great of a martial artist and it's funny because I've said this for years, uh, and I know Sifu Alex has a, a lot of people in the note will say it. It's like, guess what? People love to say, oh, but if I lift, lift weights, I'm going to get so huge. I'm going to look like Arnold, man. It's like uh, a newsflash for you. You can do as much training as you want. You will never get too big. You will never look like Arnold, so don't you worry about that. Uh, you know the, can I jump in yes, there? Yes, you can. Uh, so, we, so obviously, you've trained you've trained our dances where we work at the, uh -huh. uh, the Colburn school, uh, you and PD have come in and we, before you guys were coming in, uh, I think you were doing that for about two years or PD was doing that for about two years with us. Before that, we were bringing in a, a strength trainer, uh, and taking them to the gym. And we had serious concern from a couple of the, the young, the young gentlemen that lifting too much weight was going to bulk them up mm -hmm. uh, to the point where they were so scared to lift even like two pounds. So the, the trainer would actually have, show them how to do things initially with their shoe as, as a little bit of resistance when they're doing like, uh, you know, so, some of the body resistance, but with, with, the, with the minimal weight of a shoe and slowly building their confidence to say, oh, number one, obviously it didn't hurt, but also I didn't start to bulk up like, but like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but that was like a very, I think there's this, uh, uh, unhealthy view that we have in society that, uh, first off, I mean, it would be great if we could all be as, you know, in shape, I guess, you know, as Schwarzenegger, but to get that requires so much work over so much time, but we're so afraid or so many people are afraid that they could end up like that. There's still a weird stigma attached to it. Yeah. That they, that they don't, um, uh, 
that they don't put in the effort for it. And it's, it's, it's a real dialogue. I mean, we, we had a really fantastic teacher come in. It was a guest teacher, uh, who was a guest teacher with us a few times uh, for Fabrice Kamels, who gave, essentially he gave his, when we have a guest teacher come in, they give a 90 minute technique class. But then we also asked him, and we did this with another teacher as well, and it's like, uh, I, I'm, I don't have his name off the top of my head, but Fabrice basically gave like a 30 minute additional session talking about your responsibility to your body and to your art, whether it's martial arts or whether, you know, for me it was soccer or for, you know, these, these performing artists, to maintain your body uh, as healthy as possible and not being afraid to, to cross train and w stop worrying about that cross training is going to affect uh, your performance. These, the you know, healthy body will not hold you back. But it's really, it, it's a major wall to break through, whether it's the, the 7-Eleven McDojo teachers with the dad bods or the people who are you know so scared of working out but they're they're fit for what they're doing but it's not sustainable and and it can cause major injury to their bodies right and so once again smarter not harder but it's it's like i always say so i've you know it's and i've learned this the hard way i've overtrained for fights 100 percent. where i you know as we say you're supposed to hit your peak like the week of your fight or i've hit the peak like three weeks early like real bad uh and that was a mistake I used to uh, make was staying in two, trying to stay in peak conditioning at all times. So I've kind of switched it around. You know, people will sometimes say, oh, you don't want to be in fighting shape all the time. And I'm like, no, 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 that's bullshit because, pardon yeah. my French, because I feel as a, as a martial artist, especially if you're a competitive style one, you should always be in fighting shape, which means I can take a, a fight on like a few days notice and not only hold my own, but win. But it's not smart to always be in competition shape. So in other words, fighting shape always, but not competition shape. Competition shape is when I know what I'm going to fight. I'm going through a fight camp. I have it scientifically planned. I want to hit my peak at this time. So I perform my best on this specific date. But that doesn't mean, okay, I'm done now. I'm not going to work out for three months. I'm going to put on 20 pounds, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then no, I'm always staying in shape. I'm always staying in fighting shape. I'm always doing some form of all my training, but maybe it's a little bit less. So for example, yeah. like right now, if I'm getting ready for a fight, I'm doing a lot of sprint work, right? Uh, I actually took like three or four months off. I did zero sprint work, none. And now I'm doing a very short five minute sprint root, uh, uh, routine. No, excuse me. It's not seven. It's seven minutes. And I do it once a week. And don't get me wrong though. I'm doing a lot of anaerobic type training where I do my circuits and I do uh, little bursts of like, you know, functional movement. Uh, but you know, I've learned, okay, I don't need to be doing sprints nonstop. And that's another key thing I almost forgot to talk about is whatever supplementary training you want to do outside of your martial arts, you have to make sure that as a competitive martial arts, that it's, it's geared towards making you more functional. So what you don't want to be like early AJ, who was bodybuilding with his kickboxing, what you do want to do. Okay. Maybe I'm going to do like, you know, focus on multi-planar routines, functional strength training that's going to help me uh, be better at my martial art. And I will say this, I, I feel now physique wise that I actually look a million times better than I ever did when I was into bodybuilding, right? And that was my original fear. Oh, I'm gonna get too small or oh, I'm gonna, you know, people sometimes now think I'm like bigger than I was back then just because of definition and proportions, right? So, yeah, and, and once again, everyone's body's different and you're going to have to figure out what works best for you. Cause maybe unlike me, maybe some people 
you know, we all knew those kids who could run, you know, like forever, right? They're long distance track runners, uh, but maybe they couldn't do the short sprint work. Maybe so you have to focus more on anaerobic work and you only have to run getting closer to the fight. And I know fighters like that that don't even necessarily need to run. They only run when it's like almost the week of the fight to cut weight. And they just have that experience and that level of skill where and the, the natural physical abilities where they they don't need to run like someone like me, right? Who if I take off time from running, I'll feel it in sparring. So everyone's different, but I think I hope the key factors people take away from this is supplementary training outside of your martial arts training is function is good for you in pretty much every single circumstance. It doesn't necessarily mean you have to do it, but nine times out of ten, you probably can, and it's only going to benefit you. Uh, it also, as I said, depends on what your personal wants and needs are. And uh, don't be afraid to reach out for help. As I said, if you want to hire a personal trainer, do your research, find a good trainer, and think about it as an investment in yourself. You invest in a lot of things, but guess what? You need to invest in numero uno too, right? You can invest you know, all this money and this and that and blah, 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 and suddenly you retire and then you're like, oh, I'm super out of shape and I'm going to die. You know, it's like, think about you in the moment right now and it'll make you feel better too. So I believe that gym training outside of your martial arts training is essential. How much you have to do, what you have to do depends on your situation, uh, but it's only gonna make you feel better. Uh, don't overdo it if you don't need to. And once again, find that healthy balance in life. And what questions do you have now? Well, I, I've been taking a lot of notes, obviously. You've heard the typing. Yeah. Uh, and one, one of the things, I, you, you've brought up a few books, and maybe this is something for a future episode, mm -hmm. but I would really like to know, like, kind of mine into the books that you've read, the books that, you know, maybe even I, I've read, but, like, the books that you've read that have helped you with this specific topic, but then also the books that you read to, to help grow your path and stay on your path uh, within martial arts as well. Cause I know we, we, we have, uh, shared books before. Yes. You know I mean, we, 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 we have some fun ones. So for me, I'll tell you the key ones I go back to time and time again, as I said, uh, the art of expressing the human body, which is the Bruce mm -hmm. Lee, it's uh, John Little, who's one of the, maybe the, the, the most well-known Bruce Lee historians. He put together a book about all of Bruce Lee's training routines, not just Bruce's, but training routines he made for his students. And mm -hmm. even for some people, uh, fighting and competing and not just the karate guys he's known for uh also uh i believe it was larry haskell one of his students was getting ready for like what would be like an early kind of kickboxing match in the late 60s and there was a program in there that where bruce lee created like a sprint routine for him you know to mm -hmm. get in that anaerobic stuff which just shows how ahead of time bruce was so that's a great book because it also has a lot of bruce's lifting routines which were kind of functional full body multi-planar he was just so ahead of his time so the art of expressing the human body which is the bruce lee workout book uh as i said uh warrior cardio uh, and i believe that's martin rooney is the, the the trainer who did that one uh, that, that book is that book is for sale uh, paperback on Amazon for sixty three dollars right now. I bought it used a couple of years back because I lost my original one and during one of my moves I got it for like seven bucks. Nice. So keep an eye out because <laughs> like, I bought it used. It's beat up, but it's all I needed. Uh, it's uh, the, so the next one is it was it's actually surprisingly enough it was men's health book they did and it's uh, power. Uh, oh, actually it's right underneath my couch. That's literally how often I pull these books out. Hold on one second. 
Okay, well, AJ does that. I'll uh, mention that he does have uh, Cynthia Rothrock's okay. uh, martial arts book. I was letting them know which, which oh. Cynthia Roth. <laughs> okay, so this is uh, Men's Health Power Training uh, by right. Robert Dos Remedios. Dos yeah. Remedios. Uh, and you can see this is the original book I have. Uh, I'd like nice. to think those are coffee stains. They're yellowish, so I, I hope it's not something else random. But this uh, book is great because it actually gives you all the charts in the back, like how to design a program. And these are functional strength training routines. Uh, that's great. And so these are the kind that now, like when I'm not getting ready for a fight, I would do. And then when I'm kind of more in a fight camp, I maybe finish up one of these programs like halfway through. Then I switch over to more like my weight cut and this and that and just kind of maintaining yeah. the strength because I don't like to lift too heavy or anything uh, closer to the fight. But well, I, I thought you I thought you were going to be further away. I thought the couch was going to oh. be further away from your from your recording studio. Uh, so I, I was mentioning that I know you have the Cynthia Rothrock uh, training book, which yes. is actually I thought for stretches, very good. So is my old school Bill Superfoot Wallace one I have. Oh, that's a that's such a great one. Yeah, and it, it actually taught me some of the stretches. Uh, a couple simple little upper body stretches of anything for my elbows, which I swear have helped with my elbow stability over the last few years. Because from years of unfunctional bodybuilding training and putting way too much heavy weight on my short arms, uh, plus side for bodybuilding, I was able to build up huge biceps because I have short arms. Downside was my joints just couldn't handle it. And it's funny, yeah. I remember actually one of my brother's best friends telling me uh, a couple years back, so years removed from any of the bodybuilding, he's like, yeah, man, you know, back then, you looked too big. Like, in the sense of <laughs> it just, it didn't fit my frame. Uh, yeah. You know, when you see that with a, a, lot, of a lot of bodybuilders, uh, but that's the whole point of the sport, right? Get as big and powerful as possible. Uh, so anyways, next question. Any other questions? Uh, well, you know, one thing we, we, I don't know if we'll have enough time today to talk about it, but you were to, I, I want to jump back to the, to the sprint work and the plyometrics yes. specifically you were describing with your Shaolin, uh, fighting teacher, uh, a scene almost from college kickboxers. Uh, was it as, ex yes, exact same thing, but I, I don't think as deep, nor did he put the board in there. Uh, it was just. Uh, a hole in the ground because he had like a mini Shaolin temple he had built in the Guangzhou area. I think I've talked about uh -huh. this. And I have that training footage and I know I said I was going to put up like five months ago. I still haven't. I need to get on that. But uh, it's just a hole in the ground and then you'd climb down into it and jump out of it. Climb down into it, jump out of it. So it's kind of the reverse of a box jump. You know, you, you jump up, then climb down. So it's just you're mm -hmm. climbing up out of it. So, uh, and plyometrics are, are great because it, it helps with that explosive power because we're taking an eccentric motion to a rapid concentric contraction. So in other words, decelerate to accelerate, decelerate, which is funny because sometimes when you're doing exercises in the uh, in your training routine or in the gym, it's like, you know, maybe you're, you're doing hops or jumps, uh, depending what it is. You don't put that emphasis on uh, the deceleration, not all, uh, all the mm -hmm. time, but when you're specifically focusing on plyometrics, sometimes my clients wouldn't get it. They're like, oh, I can jump up onto the box, no problem. I'm like, no. I want you to squat down, swing the arms backwards, and explode up. The whole point of this is we're building up that explosive power. We're building up that ability to decelerate, to accelerate. Bless you. Salute. Thank you. So th that's why it's different than say, okay, I'm going to jump up onto this table, and you kind of just almost you, – you, you, you decelerate a tiny bit and then jump up. No, no, no. Sometimes you put yeah. an extra emphasis on that, and there's a science behind that and a reasoning for it. 
Well, I mean, it almost sounds a lot like uh, when I first went to Don, I had a hard time with pull-ups. Uh-huh. And so he just had me doing, he had me doing negatives. And he was yes. very insistent on a very slow negative. And, I mean, I'm sure people know what that is, but you jump up to the top of the bar and then you just slowly. And you see how great of shape uh, Don's in. And the thing is, with traditional bodybuilding even, that's that's how I discovered actually. So towards, I should, I should give credit though, towards the end of my bodybuilding uh, era, I had switched over to what would be a much more scientific bodybuilding because I got really into Frank Zane, three-time Mr. Olympia. Oh, yeah. Huge fitness uh, inspiration for me. And he was known for being very scientific with his training. And he was like the first one that I really, probably a lot of other guys said this in their books and I just ignored it because that's the other thing. You don't just look at the pictures, the routines, you have to read between the lines. Uh, but he put so much emphasis on the eccentric motion. That's where you get the growth. And I see all these guys in the gym, like meatheads or whatever, and they're lifting. And the funniest part to me is when the spotter, you know, in, like you see guys spotting on the bench press and they control the eccentric motion as the bar's going down, the, the spotter will hold it for them and like not make them do any work and they make them just do the, uh, you know, the uh, contraction going up, right? Yeah. And I'm like, well, they're both essential, but if anything, you make them do the eccentric 100% on their own. That negative mm -hmm. motion is how they're gonna build up the strength and the mass. Uh, that push-up is more for the explosive power, right? So it's, once again, uh, a good trainer should be able to teach you all this stuff. And that's why when you do your research, I'm not gonna lie, don't necessarily go to someone even like me that just, oh, I have like my NASM certification, right? If you're truly hardcore wanting to get into it, find somebody that has a kinesiology degree, a sports science degree, because these are the, uh, unless they also have a proven track record, uh, which I might think I kind of do, but yeah. you know, not just any trainer is going to be able to lead you on a good path, but you can definitely find one and, uh, you know, invest a little money because uh, there is a science behind it all. Right. We, you, you know, uh, I almost want to put a pin on, in this conversation because, um, you know, I, I'm sure our listeners have heard me taking notes unless you've done a great editing job and you've like taken out all the, yeah, taking all of, all of that sound. But uh, it's, we're, we're, I think we're starting to get to the point where it's getting overdue to, to have a conversation with Don. Yes. And I would love to have like a few conversations or maybe just like we record one long thing and we break it up. But I'd love to hear you and, and Don really get into talking about this. And I'll ask you guys some questions as we go along. I want to do this I mean, one in person, man. That's the thing. I just feel would, like, I know, I know. yeah, it's like I, I really want to. so close. Yeah. Maybe we can maybe we can all meet up here. I can pick up everyone at the Sacramento airport. There you go. Or if not, we could go once the heat starts to drop a little in Vegas. Yeah, good call. Good call. Yeah, I'd, I'd love to because Dawn is such a, a good example of traditional martial artists that supplements with physical conditioning and training. And look how incredible shape he is in at his age and yeah. how long he's been able to keep doing all of everything he does. And so he's like the the textbook example of that, like maybe a traditional martial artist being like, well, no, I don't want to, I don't need to do that extra training and that extra training will be bad for me. No, look at Sifu Don Nayam. Look at Sifu Don Nayam. Yeah. Go and look at any of his videos. Look at how amazing of shape he's in. Uh, and has it hurt him at all? No, no, no way. No way. 
any any final questions? Uh, anything you felt I left open ended and forgot to uh, finish up? I mean, the, the I ramble. We didn't, I ramble. The only thing we didn't really address was nutrition, but I think feel like that's a whole that's a whole, whole other episode because the thing is, it's it's just as key, and that was another thing that took me years to finally accept and learn because. As I like to say, it's not just what you put out with your body, it's what you put into your body. Just like it's taken me years to finally accept, as I said, I'm a big boy now, I put in real Chevron gas into my car, whereas I spent years putting, you know, the cheapest hey, USA gas on Crenshaw Boulevard, <laughs> yeah. you know, in Inglewood at 5.30 in the morning. I was like, sweet, I'll go here. But, uh... Yeah, so we that's a whole nother episode to talk about is nutrition. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, I, I want to thank you for like just kind of sharing all this. Yeah, you know, it's just it's, if I felt like it's uh, I, I think it's interesting because explaining my journey is how I did it wrong, how I am that example, that argument that people like to use for not doing training, uh, outside training with your martial arts training because it can be detrimental. So I started off as that kind of uh, textbook example that they like to use, which is really unfortunately like a falsehood, right? It's, it's it, yes, it can happen if you're training like a, a dummy like I was in the sense of what I wanted to do also. You know, I, it's like I had to make that decision. Do I want to be a bodybuilder or do I want to be a competitive kickboxer? And finally yeah. I was able to, distinguish all right i have you know i can't do both and i also as, as i said i still love the sport of bodybuilding but i realized the path of kickboxing what was what is what was right for me and i realized even when it comes to like you know because i like to work out because i also like to look and feel good i realized the the physique i have now and the kind i go for as i said i originally started off wanting to look like arnold then stallone now finally i'm like i'm cool with bruce lee i, I like that lean sinewy you know uh athletic look and I feel healthier than I did back then and yeah so I, I hope uh, if anybody ever has any questions they can reach out to us on Instagram Facebook Twitter uh, yeah we're we, uh, you know I, if I have the time I'm, I'm always down to talk and chat and uh, remember there is no secret method you just have to work hard be dedicated and Try to be smart about your training. And well I say stated. that I, I say that in case someone's like, well, what's the secret thing that's going to get me in shape? Everyone's always looking for that, that ancient secret that someone's hiding from them. No, it's all out there. You can find it all. You can watch YouTube videos. You can buy books. Uh, just make sure whoever you're following or training with is legit. Do yeah, your I mean, research. And, and worst case scenario, if you, if you just want a shortcut, we do have a special secret sauce for $9.99. A month. Mm -hmm. We'll it, send you all the ingredients. It, it, it's part of the Sugarfoot brand. It's uh, sugar sauce. Sugar sauce. Sugar sauce. Extra oh, sweet. Man. Oh, man. Oh, Cuddy. Cuddy. Anyways. Tell you what we're going to do. I'll be seeing you in a couple days. Super looking, yeah, forward, looking forward to it. Yeah, looking forward to it. I, if anybody's in the L.A. area, come swing by the new Beverly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. All right, my all right. man. I will talk to you later. See you soon. Peace, baby. All righty.